not really even one in the works. What's definitely under study, though, is how to increase the IQ of our as yet unborn children. Uh, there is more potential uh, from cracking the, the code of the human genome, which scientists have done in recent years. And we're not to the place yet where we can customize the IQ of our offspring, but there is significant research underway toward that particular goal. Some experts in the field that say that within a decade or so, and they'll probably keep saying that within another decade, but they think that they might be able to increase our children's IQ by maybe 20 points. And they say that in theory, that's the difference between a kid who struggles in high school and one who sails through college. 20 IQ points makes a big difference. But, you know, okay, we'll be able to make smarter kids. But, here's the question. If they're more intelligent, are they going to be able to make wiser choices? You know, if they're going to be smarter, are they still going to buy tickets to Adam Sandler movies? You know, are they still going to watch The Bachelor or The Brother, you know, The Big Brother or The View? Okay, now here's the huge question. If they're smarter, will they be able to resist temptation any better? I suspect that the answer is no. Sometimes super smart people use intelligence only to come up with more clever rationalizations for yielding to temptation. What about the Apostle Paul? Paul, extremely smart person, right? I, I would classify him as way up there in the IQ scale. And what did he say in Romans 7.15? I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody ever feel like that? Oh, yeah. All the time, right? Or there's a Christian author who writes, Temptation is a strange experience for me. I want to be God's person, but I also have deep human needs for approval, affection, and the satisfaction of, a strong, of strong physical and emotional drives. When wrestling with a specific temptation, I seem to change it into a, I seem, I seem to change into a different person inside. I have a kind of tunnel vision and only see the object of my resentment, greed, or lust. All else is blotted out. I am no longer the smiling, friendly Christian, but instead am an intense and sweating stranger. Yet not a stranger, for I know this one so well. Reason waits just outside the door of temptation for me. I argue against my consequence and dazzle myself with agile rationalizations. But by that time, the battle is usually lost. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Even more to the point, think about Jesus. If anybody was likely to have temptation-free DNA, you'd think the Lord would have, right? The only begotten Son of God. But our text this evening that Dan read for us shows Jesus going through what? Temptations. He finds him in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. Now, admittedly, the things that he was being tempted with at this particular time are not things that we're going to find tempting to us, right? And we're probably, we'll never be in that situation. We don't have the ability to, to turn 
stones to bread. We don't have the ability to leap off of a tall building without being injured. We don't have the ability to command kingdoms of the world. And let's face it, we're not going to be going 40 days and 40 nights without food, are we? No. Be lucky if we can go four hours without food, much less 40 days. You know, but there's no reason to think that the enticing power of temptation was any less than ours. Now, as a writer of Hebrews puts it, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we, yet was without sin. Whatever our IQ is, temptation is part and parcel to the human condition. It's just there. Doesn't matter how smart we are. Temptation is always going to be there. It's as common as rain in Seattle. It's as common as mosquitoes in Minnesota. It's as common as honeybees in a field of clover. You can get an umbrella. You can get bug repellent. You can get a bee hood. But at some time, you're going to get wet. You're going to get bit. Or you're going to get stung. That's just the way life is. Now here's another question. Even if higher intelligence could immunize us somewhat against temptation, would that be a good thing? Would it be a good thing to be immunized from temptation? Certainly the petition in the Lord's Prayer where it says, lead us not into temptation, would seem to suggest that the account of Jesus' temptations makes us wonder. In fact, could Jesus have accomplished all that he did in his ministry without these temptations that he went through in the wilderness? As Matthew records the story, the whole point of the temptation Jesus experienced in the wilderness was to drive a wedge between Jesus and God. That was Satan's goal. He wanted to separate Jesus from his father. He wanted to prove that Jesus, once he came down to earth, he was going to be just like you and me. He wanted to drive that wedge. But the fact that Jesus did not yield to temptation means that he stopped that wedge from being driven between him and his father. The writer of Hebrews links Jesus' temptation to the ministry in Hebrews 2 and verse 18. says, because Jesus himself was tested by what he suffered, he's able to help those who are being tested. It's, in, it's instructive that the Greek word that's translated as tempted in the account of Jesus carries with it the idea of not only testing, but scrutinizing, or even the idea of disciplining. But of course, to be, for something to be an effective test, what must be an option? Failure. If it's a true test, then failure needs to be a true option. Notice, too, that the text says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be tempted. And this implies that temptation can have something positive in our lives. It can have a positive effect. 
It can lead us to an understanding of our core being and help us to assess our own limits. And it can show us of our strength, of our, committed, of our commitments and our values, or it can show us the lack of our commitments and our values. Now, we also need to distinguish between temptation and yielding to temptation. You know, the, what Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, that's a fair request, isn't it? That's a fair request. But, given that temptation continues to come at us, we could also see this as a, as a shorthand for something else. It could be shorthand for, Lord, when we are tempted, please help me not to fail the test. When I am tested, not, not if I'm tempted, it's when I'm tempted, please don't let me fail. What's more, if we could actually eliminate temptation, we would actually close one of the roads, one of the major roads, that leads us to personal and spiritual development. It's that overcoming of temptations that makes you stronger, that makes you better, that strengthens your relationship with God. If temptation was actually a road that you have to travel down, it's got forks in it. It's got choices of which way you can go. The nature of temptation is that these forks force us to make a decision. Will we follow the leading of the Spirit? Or will we find it as an opportunity for the devil? to work in my life? What's going to be my choice? Which road am I going to take? Sometimes the, the pull of temptation is so demanding. This pull of temptation is so strong that the choice of turning at a major intersection in the direction of failing is the only choice that we can see. We don't see the other fork in the road sometimes. But you know what? It's there. It's always there. At other times, in, in small choices, slight detours that, that when followed one after another, they lead us to an ungodly decision. The 15th century... German devotional writer Thomas Akempis wrote about these detours when he said, First there cometh to a mind a bare thought of evil, then a strong imagination thereof, afterwards delight, and evil motion, and then consent. And so little by little our wicked enemy getteth complete entrance because he has not resisted at the very beginning. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 shows us this sequence of events with King David. From David's vantage point on the palace roof, 
He saw Bathsheba. Was there anything wrong in getting out on the roof and looking around and saying, whoops. There was nothing wrong with what he saw. It was an accident. Sometimes we see much worse by accident, don't we? You know, it's like too much information. Didn't need to see that. But then David inquired about her. Then he sent for her. Go get her. Bring her to me. And then he laid with her. There was no sin involved at all in him seeing Bathsheba taking a bath on the rooftop. None whatsoever. It's just one of those accidents that happens. But it was a fork in the road. He could have said, whoops, I think I'll go back inside now. Instead, he goes, hmm, somebody tell me who this woman is. And then he continued down that road. It was the first step in a string of decisions that led to a moral collapse in King David and led to the death of Bathsheba's husband. The problem with temptation, of course, is that we don't get to make just one big correct choice and then the battle's won. If you read the account of Jesus in the wilderness in isolation, it might seem to say that Jesus refused to yield to these temptations, and that was it. Temptations were over, his, he just sailed through the rest of his ministry, and everything was fine. Was that the case? No. Not even close. If we read later on in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23... We find that Peter is trying to get Jesus to stop saying that he's headed back for Jerusalem for death and suffering. He said, Lord, you can't do this. Just go someplace else. Do something different. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Peter was a temptation. Satan was using Peter to tempt Jesus. Even on the cross... Was Jesus being tempted? If you're the Son of God, then bring yourself down from the cross. Surely he could call thousands of angels to come rescue him. Temptation, even till his last breath. The temptation to turn off the road that God wanted Jesus to be on was with him throughout his entire ministry, not just those few days in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted across the course of his entire life. So we, like Jesus, we have to keep deciding afresh every decision. Do I take this road toward God and holiness, or do I take this road toward Satan and defeat? Granted, it's going to be different circumstances than Jesus. It's going to be different circumstances than the person sitting next to you. And it can be hard to see sometimes when we're standing at the fork which one we need to choose. 
But when we are filled with the Spirit, when our desire is to make the right choice, we're actually going to be more fulfilled when we make choices that demand our best. These hard choices are the ones that are going to make you better. It's the ones that you've got to stop and think about. It's the ones you've got to stop and pray about. It's the ones that gives you night sweats. It's the ones that make you cry trying to figure out what choice do I make. It's the ones that drive you to your knees saying, God, help me. Those are the ones that are going to make you better. They're going to make you stronger. Now, we may not be tempted by the things that tempted Jesus, but at the root, our temptations have a commonality. It's to mistrust God's readiness to strengthen us in the face of our trials. Paul heard God say to him in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And the forks in the road are good places to remember that for ourselves. Sometimes that's when we find ourselves at our weakest, is when we're at that fork and I've got no earthly idea what to do. I don't know if I've got the strength to make the right choice. That's when God gives me the strength and he gives me the power. The thing is, we need to ask God for that strength. We need to ask God for that grace, for that power. It's something we've got to ask him for. Not only at the fork of the intersection, not only at the onset of temptation, which are both certainly important places to be asking for that, but we need to be asking that ahead of time, before all this starts. There's a story about a preacher who was a passenger on a boat in Lake Michigan during a very violent storm that had come up. And the storm was so severe that people began praying all over the boat for survival. Some of them were saying the Lord's Prayer. Some of them were doing their rosaries. Some of them were doing silent prayers and they were murmuring. And they noticed that there, this, this preacher that was on the boat, he wasn't found anywhere where they were praying. You'd think a preacher would be there when everybody was praying, right? So they went looking for him. And they found him sitting on the deck on the bow of the ship with his face toward the wind and his face toward the water. And he was just looking, for, just looking ahead and riding the boat as it was rocking back and forth. And one man shouted, preacher, why aren't you down here praying with us? He said, no need. I'm all prayed up. Maybe that's the edge some people have when it comes to temptation. They've already been praying about it before temptation even got there. They've already been praying for the strength and the grace and the guidance to make those decisions before that time of temptation even got there. They know they need God's strength and his help every single day, so that's what they pray for every single day is grace and help. And they stay prayed up. Maybe it's a lesson we all need to learn. And now's a good time to do that. 
Now's a good time to make sure that you're all prayed up. Maybe you're struggling with temptation tonight. Maybe there's something in your life that's going on that's got you concerned. You don't know what to do. You don't know which direction to turn. Let's pray to God for it together. But most of all, as the, this week progresses, you're going to face some type of temptation. Start praying about it now. Don't wait until it gets here. Start praying about it now. So if you find yourself in need of prayer tonight, if you need prayers for the temptations that you're facing, if you want prayers for the temptations that you might be facing coming up over the next few weeks, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. Come and let, let the elders pray for you.